Before I start, I just must mention again, if you've not yet received a copy of the 10 really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make, please go to theshmooze.com and you can get a copy there. Uh, you could also buy it on Amazon or in your Jewish bookstores, but if you go to theshmooze.com and you click on the link there, so you also get the audiobook, the ebook, as well as the Marriage Transformation Bootcamp as a free bonus. Uh, the shipping is free, uh, so you'll pay the same price as a store, maybe a little cheaper, but the, but you will also get the audiobook, the ebook, as well as the Marriage Trans- Transformation Bootcamp. So please go to theshmuz.com, T H E S H M U Z dot com. Okay, let us uh, let us begin. In the end of this week's parsha, we're given the mitzvah of tefillin to put on our arm, to put on our head every day. And the Ramban explains something very, very intriguing about the mitzvah of tefillin. The main concept of tefillin, he explains, is to take the concepts that are central to our religion and put them next to the place of our thoughts, next to the place of our hearts, so that they should be embodied in our essence and that we should inculcate them, they should be a part of us. And he explains that the main concept that Hashem wants us to remember is Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim. And then he points out that if you'll note, there are many, many mitzvahs that center around our remembering Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim. Every day we have a mitzvah to remember Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim. <coughs> we have Tefillin, we have Shema, <coughs> we have Mezuzah, we have Sukkot, we have Pesach. If you count all together, there are 19 separate mitzvahs reminding us about the fact that we were slaves in Mitzrayim and Hashem took us out. And then the Ramban explains why is it that there are so many mitzvahs surrounding this point? Because he explains that one time in history, Hashem was demonstrating to the world that He is the Creator, Maintainer, and the one who orchestrates everything in physicality. That He is the one who maintains everything, and that He is the one that orchestrates every action, no random happenings, no just occurrences. Hashem intimately involved in every single activity, but, the Ramban explains, Hashem is not in the show business. Hashem doesn't do miracles for every generation, every Monday, Wednesday night. One time in history, Hashem said, I'm going to show my dominion, my control over every facet of nature. Study you see it's Mishraim. This is the one time that the entire world will see that I am the creator and maintainer of physicality. And the reason we have so many mitzvahs surrounding this is because it is the bedrock of our emunah. And then the Ramban says something very, very telling. He says that when a person studies this, and a person thinks about this, he'll come to understand from the Nisima Glui Mufursim, from the large miracles, a person will also come to understand the small miracles in his own life. And then listen to these words. Shein la'adam chelek betoros Moshe Rabbeinu. A person doesn't have a portion in Moshe Rabbeinu's Torah, until he believes that all of our actions and everything that occurs to us, they're all miracles. There's no nature in them, or ways of the world. Again, the Rabban is saying that a person will look at the large miracles, the splitting of the sea, the dams, and from the large miracles, he'll come to see the small miracles, because a person doesn't have a chalik in Torah's Moshe. He has no part of the Torah until he believes that all of our actions and everything that occurs to us, there's no teva, there's no minaga olam, it's Hashem's direct involvement. Now those are very powerful words. 
What he's saying is, you have no portion in Hashem's Torah. You're not a from Jew. You're not a religious Jew. If you believe in Mikra, if you believe in random happenstance, things just occur. Hashem is involved in the big picture issues of life. Okay, which countries go to war, which countries will suffer famine, I get that. But in my own life, Hashem is not... Come on, I don't really believe that Hashem is intimately involved in the everyday, day-to-day activities of my life. If you believe that, you have no portion in Moshe Rabbeinu's Torah. You're not a from Jew, you're not a religious Jew, you're not a mamin. Now that alone would be a very powerful statement, but he says even more than that. He says, how does a person come to this understanding? By studying Yisiyas Mitzrayim. Read about the Makas, read about what occurred, study Kriyas Yamsuf, and from there you'll come to the understanding that Hashem is involved in every day-to-day action of your life. Hashem is there every day. Hashem is with you. And I'd like to ask the obvious question on this Ramban. I get it. Emunah is basic. And I'm a mamin, and I understand. But how does Yusias Mitzrayim lead me to the obvious conclusion that Hashem is involved in my life? Maybe Hashem is involved in the big picture issues. The Jewish nation taking us out of Mitzrayim. <clears throat> the Jews as an entity exist. I get it. I see the tremendous... 1900 years of exile that we exist and somehow miraculously we're thrown from shore to shore and we the only single nation alive after so many millennia being thrown into such travesty, such horrible conditions and we survive and we reclaim our land I get it, Hashem is involved in the Jewish nation survival but how do I see from Yisrael Mitzrayim that Hashem is involved in my life maybe Hashem is involved in the big picture issues of life how do I see that Hashem is involved in my life? How does Tfilin help me understand that Hashem is here because I know Hashem took Zerah Mitzrayim? It doesn't help me. There doesn't seem to be an obvious connection. And I'd like to see this evening if we can deal with this very question. How is it that if I study Yisrael Mitzrayim, not only will I see that Hashem did all of that, but I'll see from there that Hashem is intimately involved in my day-to-day action in the running of my life. So let me begin with a quick chazara, quick review. In a number of shmuzim, we discuss the four basic levels of Amuna. The first level of Amuna is knowing that Hashem created the world. There was absolute absence of physicality. Hashem said vayhi, and a hundred billion galaxies, each containing a hundred billion stars, came into existence. That's the first level of basic Amuna. The second level of basic Amuna is knowing that Hashem is involved in the big picture issues of life which countries will have great success, which will have famines, which new diseases will suddenly show up, which new variations will suddenly break through the immunizations, which large issues of life are going to surface. That's the second level of Muna, knowing that Hashem is involved in the global issues of life. The third level of Muna is knowing that Hashem knows my thoughts as I'm thinking them. That Hashem reads through me like a book, I'm that lucite man, you know, that science exhibit where you have the outside body is made of clear plexiglass, and inside you can peer, you see the organs, you can see the lungs, the stomach, the pancreas. That's me. When I damage from the I stand in front of Hashem, and Hashem peers through me, reads through me like a book. Hashem knows my thoughts as I'm thinking them. That's the third level of Amunah. The fourth level of Amunah is knowing that Hashem is intimately involved in the running of my life. Now, if a person had these four levels of Amunah and went no further 
and they could march into Gan Eden and have a tremendous portion in the world to come. And we call them absolutely from Jew. But if you'd like to understand what this means in real, actual terms, the Chovaz of Lovaz explains to us, I have to know and understand my life, my health, my well-being, every activity that happens to me, happens to me only because Hashem directly controls it, Hashem is directly involved, that no human being can harm me, no human being can help me. You can scheme, you can dream, you cannot hurt me. If I wasn't supposed to suffer pain, there's nothing that you or anyone else can do. If I was supposed to suffer this downfall, there's nothing again that you or anyone else can do to prevent it. Hashem is intimately involved in my life. No human being can harm me, no human being can help me. Those are the first four levels of Amuna. And again, if a person spends his life working on them and really concretizing them, really feeling them, living them, they can march into Gan Eden and have a perfect portion in the world to come. However, if you'd like to have a better understanding of Amuna, let's try to see what we can understand behind this, what I call level 5 and level 6. And to begin that, let's begin with the following observation. Imagine you're driving up the Palisades, and you head up towards the Bear Mountain Bridge, and you start on this long, windy, snaky road, and you can't help but notice the mountain views are incredible. The road sort of veers to the left, and you see the sheer cliffs a thousand feet down, and you see the river below. It's just incredible. And you're climbing higher and higher, and you see you're getting higher through the mountains, and the sights are becoming more incredible. As you're coming around the bend over here, all of a sudden you see an 18-wheeler truck coming down at you, and you see he's out of control. He's speeding, and he's heading right to you. And you don't touch, but you head off the embankment, and you find yourself on the road. Oh, my goodness. And the car turns over, and it turns over a second time, and it stops. The car is stopped by a bush, and you gently open the door, get out, and see the scene. Your car is over here. The small bush is over here. Had your car gone one foot further, it would have fallen off this 2,000-foot cliff to the river below, and you would have been no longer. Chazde Hashem! Hashem, save me! It's a miracle! It's incredible! You bench Gomel, you make a Suda Sadah, and for the rest of your life you celebrate Hashem saving you from that scene. Here's my question. How did God suddenly appear on the scene? I mean, let's be frank. There's a lot of stuff going on in this world. Seven and a half billion people. And Hashem is way, way, way up there. 13 billion light years in the sky. How did Hashem suddenly appear on the scene just in the nick of time to save your car, to save you from falling off the cliff? And the answer to this question is that Hashem did not appear. Hashem is everywhere, every moment, all the time, totally, completely present in every particle of physicality. One of the names of Hashem, not a direct name, but what's called a kinoi, a pseudonyme for Hashem is Hamakom. Hashem is the place. Because any place that is, Hashem is there keeping it in existence. Because everything in physicality only exists because Hashem created and maintains it. And everything in the spiritual world as well, Hashem is the place because Hashem has created and maintains everything in existence. 
As a matter of fact, if you'd like to see this very clearly, let's read a Pasuk in Chumash. Vayira Allah Hashem Beiloni Mamre. Hashem appeared to Avram in Eiloni Mamre. As a little kid in Cheder, that's how you learned the Pasuk, right? Hashem wasn't there, and Hashem appeared. Whoosh! Hashem, whoosh, comes down. If you look in Unculus, Unculus does not translate Vayera as Hashem magically <coughs> whooshed onto the scene. Is Gale. Hashem revealed Himself. The word Vayera means you couldn't see before. Vayera, Hashem became apparent to you. Hashem was there every moment of the existence. Hashem appeared to Avram, meaning previously Hashem couldn't be seen, couldn't be experienced. Hashem made Himself clear and revealed Himself so that Avram Avinu could experience Hashem. And every time when the Pasuk says, Vayera Hashem, Hashem appeared, Unkelis translated as Izgale, Hashem revealed, because Hashem is here, everywhere, every particle of physica, everywhere where I may be, Hashem is there, in the streets, in the mountains, in the rivers, in the cosmos, wherever there is anything, Hashem is there. And this understanding that Hashem is present everywhere is a very important step in understanding Hashem's involvement in our life. Hashem doesn't magically appear on the bridge when I'm suddenly in trouble. Hashem doesn't magically appear on the street when a thug jumps out and holds a gun at my head. Hashem is there 24-7, 365, everywhere, all the time. And that is the concept of Hamakum. But let's advance this a little bit more. And to understand why this needs a little bit of advancement, I'd like to ask what I consider one of the most obvious questions in existence. Imagine that I have sand. If I have sand, I can bake bricks. If I have molecules, I can make sand. If I have atoms, I could make molecules. If I have quarks, I can make atoms. But here's one of the great dilemmas that requires some very, very careful thinking. Before Hashem created the world, there was nothing, absolute absence of anything. From absolute absence of anything, Hashem said by He, and everything came into existence. And if you think about that, you'll soon realize that is impossible. Creation is physically impossible. Because if there was no sand, you can't bake bricks. If there were no molecules, you can't make sand. If there are no atoms, you can't make molecules, no quarks, you can't make... There's nothing there. How can from absolute absence of anything, Hashem create... There's nothing, you can't make it, you can't shape it, you can't mold it, you can't... There's, there's nothing there. And when you think about that, you realize exactly that point. Creation is physically impossible. And what it requires is a mishave. Not just a creator, but a creator who maintains that creation. When you and I engage in what we call creative acts, they are anything but creative. We take two sticks, bang them together, say we created something, but we created nothing. The Nefesh explains, imagine that I built a shack somewhere in the desert. I built a shack and I left it for 20 years. I would expect that 20 years later I'd come back and find it maybe a bit weather, weathered, a bit worn out, but the shack would still be there because I created nothing. I took items that were in creation, shuffled them around, 
rearrange them, but I created nothing. Creation, yesh me ayin creation, ex nihilo creation means from absolute absence of anything, Hashem created everything, and that requires a whole different level of involvement. And that requires a creator to create and maintain everything in physicality. And if you'd like to understand this, I have a mushal that bears repeating. I've said it before, but it really bears understanding. Imagine it's a cold February night. And imagine I'm waiting for the bus and I'm shivering. So I close my eyes. I close my eyes and I imagine a beautiful beach scene. White sand, ocean blue, cloudless sky. One lone seagull gently wafts across the sky. Suddenly the bus comes, splash! Gone is the ocean blue. Gone is the white sand. Gone is the seagull. I am the dreamer. As long as I dream about the dream, the dream exists. The minute I stop thinking about the seagull, the sand, and the ocean, it stops existing. When Hashem from nothing created everything, Hashem didn't just create it, it requires a mishave, someone who keeps it in existence. And that is Hashem's relationship to everything in existence. Hashem from nothing created everything and maintains it at every moment in existence. Hashem is constantly infusing energy, constantly keeping everything there, constantly keeping it where it is. And the reason why Hashem is the makom, is the place, is because nothing exists unless Hashem is there keeping it in existence. If you're in Mars, if you're in Neptune, if you're in some galaxy far away, it only exists as long as Hashem keeps it in existence. So of course Hashem is hamakom, the place, because that place only exists because Hashem created and maintains it. Nothing exists outside of Hashem. Hashem is everywhere, all the time, is everything, because nothing exists without Hashem constantly keeping it, infusing energy, much like I to the dream, I'm the dreamer, Hashem is to the physical world. As an aside, it's an interesting thing to think about if you'd like to discuss this concept of tshuva. Sometimes we get this cavalier attitude, listen, you know, Hashem forgive me for what I've done, okay, I did a sin, not a big deal, you know, the concept of tshuva, just clap and I'll to and we're good to go. Now, tshuva works, no question about it. But if you'd like to understand what tshuva involves, I'll share with you one observation. Hashem created me for one purpose, to give to me. To give me the opportunity to grow and accomplish, to be close to Him, so that for eternity I can accomplish my mission in this world and gain access to Hashem, and for eternity to enjoy the greatest good being dovik to Hashem. It is the greatest gift, the greatest opportunity, the opportunity called life, an opportunity to be close to Hashem, the opportunity for eternity to enjoy that proximity, the greatest gift imaginable. And Hashem gave me specific mitzvahs. He said, do this because it will help you. Don't do this because it will damage you. And everything in creation, from the stars to the moon, to the animals, to the plants, to the insects, were created and are kept in existence for man and man alone. Hashem created the whole world for us, gave us the Torah to guide us, gave us the opportunity to grow and accomplish, told us what to do and what not to do because it's for our benefit or our detriment. And then I said, no, I ain't doing it. You want me to do this? I don't want to do that. You don't want me to do this? I do want to do that. But that's not the audacity. The audacity isn't just that one, the king said no, I said yes, or he said yes and I said no. 
I did it right in front of the king. Right in front of the king. The king said, this is for your good, don't do it. And I said, I don't really care. But you understand, it wasn't just right in front of the king. Hashem is keeping my arm in existence, my legs in existence, my body in existence. I exist as long as Hashem keeps me in existence. And with the very hand that Hashem created and maintains at every moment of of its existence, I took that very hand and smacked God right in the face. (laughs) Do you understand the audacity? I took Hashem's creation, me, and all He created me was for my good. And he told me not to do it because it's my, to my benefit. But not just in front of him. While he keeps me in existence, I take that very hand that he keeps in existence and I slap him. The audacity of a sin is beyond description. But we have much bigger fish to fry tonight. Because let's see if we can understand what Teva is, what nature is, and if we can understand Hashem's relationship to the physical world. Let's go back to our mushal for a minute. Imagine I'm standing at the bus stop and I'm shivering. I close my eyes and I see this beautiful beach scene, white sand, ocean blue, cloudless sky, one lone seagull. And imagine I say, you know, Mr. Seagull, I want you to fly east. I want you to flap your wings and fly east. He turns to me and says, "Mm -mm, I don't want to fly east. I want to fly west. I say, well, Mr. Seagull, please, I I prefer if you flew east. He said, no, I don't want to go east. I want to go west. Please, sir. No, please, no, please, no. And he says, I'm sorry, I'm not listening to you. I'm doing my own free will. I'm doing what I want. I'm flying west. Now, um, that wouldn't happen. Why? Because he only exists as long as I keep him in existence. And he can only act. He can only move. He can only flap his wings as long as I flap them. Because I am the dreamer. Every molecule of him, every aspect of him only exists as long as I keep him he has no volition. He has no free will. He has no ability to say, I don't want to do what you do. He only exists because I keep him, I hold him, I maintain him. And everything that he does, he only does because I willed it to be. And when you think about this, you begin dealing with one of the most difficult concepts we human beings deal with. And that is, how is there a concept called free will? How is it possible that Hashem created a creation and said, do what you want. I free you to do what you want. Because in reality, there is no free will. If Hashem ever willed it to be that I could not do an Avera, I physically could not do it. It's not that Hashem would have to bring a nuclear holocaust on me if I sinned. I would not be able to move my arms, my head, my legs. I would not be able to think a thought. I would not be able to do anything that Hashem didn't want me to do. When Hashem allow for free will, what it means is, imagine the seagull. I say to the seagull, please fly east. Do me a personal favor. He says, no, I want to go west. I say, listen, buddy, it's not good for you. Listen to me. He says, I don't care. Please listen to me. I'm telling you, it's bad. He says, I don't care. I don't care. I says, all right, listen, uh, I, I'm a, whatever you want. You want to go east? Fine. I'm going to, and I turn him because he can't move without me. He can't move without my acquiescing and my saying yes. So I turn him. Instead of going this way, he turns this way. You sure you want to do this, guy? Yes, I do. All right. And I flap his wings. I flap Because he can't flap his wings without me. You sure you want to do it? Yeah, he flaps his wings, flaps his wings, flaps his wings. Flap. Do you understand how impossible free will is? <clears throat> Hashem is the creator and maintainer of every particle of physicality, everything that exists, 
and nothing could violate his will if Hashem didn't wish it to be. To allow for free will, to allow for reward and punishment, Hashem created this Messias called volition. You can choose. You can choose. And if you decide to violate my will, says Hashem, I'll support you. I'll hold you. I'll keep you in existence. I'll flap your wings to you. I'll walk you down that road. I won't be happy with it, because it's bad for you, but this is the free world, this is the world I created, and I will support you in it. And I'd like you to understand how this story ends. You see, imagine my seagull who flew east, and I said, don't go that way. And as he's flying east, he's flying, and he's flying, and he's flying, and all of a sudden he sees a hawk. A hawk! And the hawk pins his wings in, and the hawk does a tail dive at 200 miles an hour right for the seagull, and the seagull knows that he's going to be lunch. At which point the seagull says, Mr. Dreamer, Mr. Dreamer, help me, help I warned you, I told you don't go east. I said go west. Please help me, have mercy, have mercy. Now listen very carefully to what I'm saying. I do not have to turn the seagull around and quickly have him exit. I don't have to quickly have him drop or have him move off the scene or have him do some evasive tactic. There's nothing in that dream that exists that I don't control because I'm the dreamer. I control the seagull. I control the hawk. I control the whole scene. So if I decide that the hawk is not going to eat that seagull, I can have the hawk miss. I can have the hawk fly away. I can have the hawk disappear. I could do anything I want because I'm the dreamer. I can do anything because I am the one who keeps everything in existence. And if you'd like to understand what this means in plain, simple language, I'd like to explain to you how Hashem is involved in the running of our world. A fellow in yeshiva, who been as money, he was home in the summer, and he was helping his mother. He climbed up the ladder to the roof of his house, and he was working and doing some repairs on the roof. And he came down the ladder, and he fell. But you have to understand, he was 15, maybe 20 feet up when he fell. And he fell down to the ground, and he smashed against the ground. And they quickly called the ambulance. They took him, did an MRI, and the doctor said to him, Son, you are one fortunate fellow. One more millimeter, and your spine would have been severed. Somehow you landed in just the right location, in just the right way so that your spine has been injured. But one more millimeter, the spinal cord would have been cut, and you would have been paralyzed for life. Now, I want to ask you a question. I know Hashem is good, but how does Hashem get so down to the one millimeter? I mean, a millimeter is not so big. How does Hashem control? I mean, the guy's falling 20 feet. I know Hashem is very, very good at what he does, but, I mean, how do you control a guy who weighs uh, 150 pounds and he's falling 20 feet and you got to get the angle so he falls this way, but just this way, just enough, but, but he cracks the spine, but not totally. Like, I mean, how does that happen exactly? And the answer to that is that everything that happens is completely, totally under Hashem's dominion all the time. If you'd like to slow it down, we could watch. Hashem created the ladder, the metal, and keeps it in existence. Hashem created the wood of the trees, and that Hashem keeps in existence. Everything in that scene 
is kept in existence by Hashem, including the Yeshiva Bachar. And for whatever which reason, he was supposed to go through an event in his life, and he took a misstep on that ladder, because Hashem arranged it that there should be just a little bit, too little traction, so that his foot should slip, and let's slow it down and watch what happens. Hashem is keeping everything in existence, and Hashem is saying, okay, slow down, twist, okay, good. I need your hip to be over here, okay, good, a little bit more twist, a little more twist, wait. Wait, I need you back over here. I need you back because we got to get that angle right down. I need you falling, falling, good, good. Come down, okay, good. Now hit the ground, good, good. Now roll just a little bit because I need a little bit more, a little more torque. A little more torque right there, good. Snap, good. Hold it right there. Perfect. Land. Do you know why Hashem can save him? Because every movement in existence, Hashem guides. Everything that is in existence is kept in existence, maintained constantly by Hashem. And Hashem is the one who kept him, guided him exactly where he should be, because every particle of physicality is guided by Hashem 24-7-365. Would you like to know what the Mitzrim in Mitzrayim saw? They saw this. Let's look at a few of the Makkas. Let's look at one or two, and we'll see what the Mitzrim saw. Hashem said, Moshe Rabbeinu, you and Aaron, go tell Paro that all of the water in Mitzrayim is going to turn to blood. All of the water is going to turn to blood, and blood is thick, blood is globulous, blood smells. The Pusik says all of the dugga, all of the fish in the Nile died. The Surah explains why is that? Because Hashem didn't say all the water in Mitzrayim is going to turn into colored water. It turned into thick, smelly, globulous blood. A fish breathes normally by processing the water, taking out the oxygen in its gills, but the, it was too thick, the blood was too thick, they couldn't, they suffocated, all the fish died. Why? Because all of the water in all of Mitzrayim, wherever it was, in the rivers, in the agams, in the barrels, if a mystery had some in his bathtub, it turned the water turned into blood. If a mystery bit into a fruit, instead of Water, instead of fruit juice, he got blood. Wherever there was water, in Mitzrayim, wherever, whenever, all of the water turned to blood. Except for the Jews. If you were Jewish, you had water. If you were Mitzri, you had blood. In fact, how did the Mitzrim drink? They used to buy water from the Jews. If the Mitzri would pay a full price, the water was given by the Jew to the Mitzri, the Mitzri paid the full price, the water remained water. If the mystery would try to pay him half the price or take the money back, the water would turn back. And you could imagine what this scene looks like. Imagine we have Anwar. Anwar, the Egyptian taskmaster, and he sees his Eved uh, Yitzhak in the field and says, Yitzhak, what's that in your cup over there? Oh, it's water, master. I know. Why? Wipe that smile off your face, boy. Come here. Come here. I want you to give me that water. And Yitzhak gives the cup of water to his master and the water turns from water to blood as it touches the Mitzri's hand. The Mitzri says, take it back. He gives it back to Yitzhak, and it turns from blood to water. Now give it back to me. And it turns from water, water, blood, water, blood, water. Come here, come here, come here, come here. Drink that. And Anwar watches Yitzhak drink water. Now come here, boy. Bring that cup to your lips. Now stand right next to me. We're going to both drink at the same time. And no funny business. I want you to hold the cup. I want you to drink. When I say three, we're going to drink together. One, two, three. Yitzhak drinks water. <laughs> Anwar drinks blood. What did the Mitzri see? You know what he saw? 
that water is not clear, odorless, and colorless because it is. Water is clear, odorless, and colorless because Hashem created that way and maintains it that way. And the minute that Hashem says it shall be otherwise, poof, it no longer has its form and no longer is in existence. The ten makas were a clear demonstration of Hashem's total mastery of all of creation because He is the creator, maintainer, and orchestrator of everything in creation. But the Mitzrim didn't hear this as a musa shmuz. They didn't read about it in a sefer. They lived through it. Dam Tzvadeya Kinim. They lived through the most obvious, clear demonstration of Hashem's control over every facet of creation. And for ten months they lived through it until finally Kriyash Yamsuf. And I believe that's exactly what the Raman is saying. If you study the Makas, what you see is Hashem is the creator and maintainer of physicality. Water isn't just clear and odorless because it is. It is that way because Hashem created it and maintains it. Study the Makas. You'll see from the Nisim Gluyim, from the large miracles, you'll see that Hashem is involved in everything. You'll see that Hashem is everywhere. In the Makkah of Bechoros, many Mitzrim died. Many were Bechoros, and many seem not to be Bechoros. Rashi says in some houses, five children died. And Rashi explains why. Because the Mitri women were promiscuous. She had one firstborn from her husband, next firstborn born from another man, and next firstborn from another man, another man. She might have had five children, all the firstborn of their fathers, and each one died. Do you understand what Cleopatra saw? What she saw clearly right in front of her eyes was 25 years ago. I had an affair with this guy. No one knew about it. Not my girlfriend. No one. And I had a child from that union, and that child's dead. Five years later, I met someone in the field. No one knew. No one could have seen. And that child from that union died. And the next one, and the next one. What she saw clearly was that 25 years ago, she was not alone. Hashem was there, watching, recording, paying careful attention, 25 years before, 20 years before, 15 years before. But she saw this palpably, right in front of her eyes. What the Rabban is saying to us is, if you'd like to understand the world, study Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Study the Makkah, study Kriyas Yamsuf. You'll see that Hashem is the creator, maintainer, and orchestrator of everything in physicality, because that's what each Makkah was. And from those great miracles, you'll see the simple reality that Hashem is intimately involved in everything. But not just because Hashem is going to swoop down and appear on the scene miraculously. But because nothing can exist without Hashem keeping it in existence. Nothing can happen without Hashem willing it to be. Much like I to the seagull. The seagull can't go east if I say I want you west. And it can't go west if I say east. Unless I will it to be. And if I agree with his decision. And I support him the whole way. I'm the one who's supporting him. And I'm supporting the hawk as well. And it's I who sent the hawk. And I who tried to warn him. And I who sent the hawk to show him the error of his ways, and it is I who will determine whether that hawk eats him or doesn't, but every step of the way, every motion is totally, utterly in my control, because I'm the dreamer, and he's just a figment in my dream. We exist in Hashem's world. Hashem is the makom, the creator, maintainer, nothing under the sun, nothing in existence happens without Hashem's total, complete involvement in everything, because nothing can exist without Hashem. 
Nothing can happen without Hashem because Hashem has to be there keeping it, flapping the wings of the seagull, bringing the hawk, because it's only in Hashem's world that everything happens. And what the Ramban is saying is, when you study Kriya Shamsuf, you'll see this fundamental truth. There is no Teva. There is no nature. Everything that we call Teva, everything that we call nature, is systemized way that Hashem runs the world. These are just organized systems that Hashem uses. Hashem follows a certain protocol, a certain coordinated method. When you put a seed in the ground, Hashem will, on a regular, consistent basis, act this way and this way and this way. But that tree growing is Hashem holding it, keeping it, maintaining it. When you say nature, what you mean is the system, the organized, consistent system that Hashem uses on a regular basis. And I think this Ramban is fundamental to understanding life. <clears throat> what the Ramban is saying is, we need 19 mitzvahs surrounding Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim. Why? Because one time in history, Hashem, Hashem said, look, the whole world, pay attention. I'm not in the show business. I'm not going every Monday and Wednesday night in the show business to show you miracles. <clears throat> one time in history, Hashem says, I will show the world, the Jewish people and the world at large, that I am the creator and maintainer. Study this. We have 19 mitzvahs circling it and reminding us because we have to keep it ever in front of us. But the moral of the story is that Hashem is the creator and maintainer of everything, and nothing can exist without Hashem. This is the fifth and the sixth level of Muna. If you have the first four levels, you can walk into Ganadin. The first level of Muna is knowing that Hashem created the world. Second level of Muna is knowing that Hashem runs the big picture issues. When you read the headlines in the New York Times, they're written on Rosh Hashanah. The third level of Muna is knowing that Hashem reads my thoughts as I'm thinking them. The fourth level of Amun is knowing that Hashem is intimately involved in the running of my life. No one can harm me. No one can help me. And if you have the first four levels of Amuna, you could walk into the front row again, Aden. But the Rabban's teaching us, if you fundamentally want to understand life, you need the fifth and the sixth level. The fifth level of Amuna is understanding that nothing can exist without Hashem keeping it in existence every moment of its existence. Hashem is the makom, the place, because everything only exists because Hashem keeps it, much like I to the seagull, I to the dream, I'm the dreamer, as long as I think about it, it exists. Everything in existence only exists as long as Hashem keeps it in existence. But the sixth level of Amunah is where the real action happens. And that's understanding that the seagull cannot go east, if I want it to go west, it can't go west if I want it to go east. And the only way that can happen is if I say, all right, you want to do this. I told you not to, I warned you, I told you not, you want to, all right, fine, we're going to go that way, and we're going to flap your wings, and we're going to hold you, I'm going to support you, because nothing in existence can happen. No occurrence, nothing without Hashem willing it and saying, yes, I agree, I'm with you, it's okay, I'm going to support you, I'm going to hold you. Because as Hashem keeps everything in existence, every motion and everything that happens is constantly Hashem always there. And with this understanding, we're able to understand Hashem's involvement in our world. We're able to understand Hashem's involvement in our life. We're able to understand the extent of what we're able to acquire. One of the holiest endeavors that we ever engage in is something called tefillah. When I pray, I cut through the haze. I close my eyes and I tap into a basic understanding that Hashem is present. And I recognize that you keep everything in existence. You're right here. 
on speaking to the creator of the heavens and earth right here, and everything that exists, including me, is only kept in existence by you all the time. You know my thoughts, you know my understandings, you know my needs. I don't have to speak out my needs for you to know them. I speak them out for the koach of tefillah, for the power to work. But you know exactly what I need and more than that. Everything in existence is kept in existence by you and you alone. And when I pray and I cut through that haze of physicality, I cut through those heavy smoke streams, I begin to recognize Hashem's presence, I recognize Hashem's involvement, I beg, I beseech, because I know everything is controlled by Hashem immediately, completely, and directly, and He alone is the Avarachim and the most merciful. I ask, I beg, I beseech, I cut through the heavy layers of physicality, I recognize my Creator, and I begin to understand His involvement in our lives. And Hashem grant us the wisdom and the ability to put this into practice, to recognize this, and to realize Hashem's involvement. And now I'd like to open the floor to questions, thoughts, observations, and they could be on this topic or any other. I prefer if you raise your hand. If you're not bold enough to raise your hand, you're more than welcome to uh, type in the question. But I much prefer raise hands. And we're going to take Yom Pesach. Shalom Aleichem. Are you here? No, I blew that. Shalom Shalom. Hi. How are you? So... Every time we work on this, the Muna, then obviously the counter of Bechir Chavshis becomes more difficult to understand. So you said many times, if you jump off the bridge, you can't say, Hashem decide I'm going to live or die. He wants you to make a miracle and save me. Or if I choose not to diet and exercise, that, you know, the, the, the Chas Shalom died from a heart attack. How does one take all of this level of Muna and so counter that with personal responsibility? Uh, again, much like me and the seagull, I told the seagull, don't go east. Please, I'm, it's bad for you. I'm warning you. There are hawks there, the bad thing, and he doesn't care. I said to him, listen, buddy, I warned you. I told, But you want to do it? All right, so I'll support you. I'll hold you. I'll keep, you know, meaning I will support him in his decision, and I will let him come. And by the way, there might be a time when he did it and did it and did it. I may say, okay, that's it. You lost your lease on life, buddy. I'm sending you to the hawks. And the hawks there are going to kill you because that's the way I set up the world. And the hawk is going to have lunch. And that might be the end that's, of... That's B'derek Shadam That's what it means when we say... Well, that's certainly that concept, the B'derek Shadam Rosh Malich, is certainly an extension of this concept. But Hashem created systems in the world. And those systems are, we're supposed to follow. And Hashem says, if you follow the systems, I'll take care of you. If you don't follow the systems, all bets are off. Sometimes Hashem so may intervene. Does that take you away from Hashem's hashkacha, though? The fact that I want to... Someone jumps off the bridge over and over and over again. Hashem saves whatever it is each time. Does that somehow take you away from Hashem's hashkacha? If Hashem lets him die, so to speak? Well, Hashem's mashkir means Hashem watches him, keeps him Hashem. But there are certain points when Hashem says, you've lost your lease on life. I set up the rules that you have to eat right, you have to exercise. I set up the rules, no jumping off bridges. You jumped off bridge at a certain point. Uh, you, that's it. You lost your lease on life. <laughs> Hashem will that person force Hashem to do something? Well, in a sense, Hashem didn't want it. Yeah, in a sense, yeah. I guess you could say it that way, Hashem. That, that, doesn't, that, doesn't that take away from the hashkacha, though? Not at all. And it's, again, nothing can happen that Hashem doesn't want to happen. And Hashem could have taken the last moment and saved them, or brought them back up, or whatever it may be. <clears throat> but Hashem set up the system as such that if you violate these rules, then there are certain consequences. If you take your fist and smash it into the, or into the wall, your fist is going to hurt you. That's a consequence. Now, sometimes Hashem will arrange it that you won't break your knuckles, but not always. Generally speaking, you smash your fist hard enough, 
Hashem is going to arrange it that your knuckles are going to break because Hashem wants there to be a derech hateva, a systemized, organized method and Hashem runs the world. Does, you mean Hashem can't do otherwise? Hashem could do otherwise, but Hashem runs it this way. You put a seed in the ground, the tree grows, <coughs> light a fire, it creates a flame, smash your fist, it hurts, jump off the bridge, you die. Now again, on rare occasions, Hashem may intervene, and Hashem may send a speedboat or a helicopter to save whatever it may be, but in the vast majority of times, Hashem created the world in such a way that you use the world in the ways of the world, and that's the way Hashem says, I'm going to keep the world functioning. So if you plant the seed, the tree is going to come up. I'm going to keep bring the seed up. If you jump off the bridge, I'm going to bring you to your death. You, Hashem, you killed me? <laughs> what am I going to tell you? There's a thing called free will, and with it comes certain consequences and certain costs. I guess, yeah, the difficulty is just the, what What can I tell you? That's just like, seems how somehow it's like, like you feel like almost like it's like a pagam in your amuna to believe that. At the same time, while you're believing, like, how does one believe in Bechira without being a pagam in, in their, their amuna? Or believe in Amuna without being a Pagan and the, the ability to hear. It, it seems like they're always like there's a I'm not following a, a the, war there. I'm not following the question. I'm saying that if you believe in the absolute Hashgach of Hashem, so they say, well, I, I jump off the bridge. Hashem wants to save me. He'll save me. Right, absolutely true. But Hashem said, I'm not going to save you. Hashem said, I want you to use the world in the ways of the world and there's a derech hateva. And I'm telling you, if you jump off the bridge, you're going to die. Study carefully. Read the Chumash. Read the Torah. If you jump off the bridge, you will die. That's what's going to happen. I jumped off the bridge and Hashem didn't save me. Of course not. Hashem said, you're going to die. I, I, the, the, the length of my life was determined before I was born. It was announced how long I was going to live. and whatever no, that, not, that. not correct. Not correct at all. When Hashem determines how long you live, Hashem isn't saying you will live this long. This is what's slated to be. This is what's best. And this is what should be. But you're given free will. If you decide to jump off the bridge, okay. Hashem doesn't handcuff you to an outcome. If a guy says, I don't want to get married, so about 40 days, when Hashem decides what's bashert, Hashem decrees what should be, what's accessible. You do your part. Use the world in a ways of the world, and this will come about. Because this is what should be, this is what's right, this is what's accessible. But if you don't do your part, all bets are off. Hashem says if you eat right and exercise Keep your stress level down, you live to 120. If you decide that you want to be a walking heart attack, or you want to jump off bridge, you want to bungee cord off the Eiffel Tower, don't go blaming Hashem, because Hashem said, there's a derech hateva. If you jump off bridges, you die. That's the derech hateva. I guess, I mean, Cheskyo and Menashe, he didn't, want to, he didn't want to get married because he thought he was going to have a Menashe, so Hashem made him that he was, he was sick, he was going to die, and the Navi told him, basically, he can't outsmart Hashem. There's a cool schmooze about that. Yeah. I forgot what Shmuz number it is, but yeah, it's one of Shmuzin. <laughs> All right, great talking to you. Sure. Okay, thanks. Okay, okay, Alicia, long time to speak. You got the floor. Shalom. Shalom. Hi. I wanted to ask um, just a couple, uh, one question basically. It has to do with one question with a follow up. <laughs> and a follow-up on that follow-up, and then a follow-up on that follow-up, but go ahead. No, 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 no. no. I'm going to keep <laughs> The question is, um, you know, I, I used to hear and from the schmoozing and this and that, like, you know, the, the kings of a couple centuries ago back in England was freezing, and he, he slept on duck feather and stuff. Why did Hashem create um, the world the way he created it? And then people would lose their teeth, and people would get sick, and there wasn't a cure, and they would die at this age, and no electricity and no heating and no none of that until way later in the game if um, you know someone's what's best for us and Hashem's involved okay. and all that stuff okay so much like a parent to a child 
you want what's best to you, for your child, but you don't want him to eat candy all day because candy all day is not really good for him. You want to let him have sweets, okay, they're good, but there's got to be a balanced diet, and not everything tastes so good to the child. And maybe cucumbers and asparagus are good for him right now. For our station in the world, for whatever which reason, suffering is an important part. Now, why do we need suffering? If we were tzaddikim gemurim, we would not need any suffering. But I'm sorry to tell you, we are not tzaddikim gemurim, and therefore there has to be some suffering in the world. Some generations suffer physically, some generations suffer emotionally and psychologically. In the course of history, the world suffered physically to an incredible extent. And when we look back on their generations, it's, it's incredible. The physical pain that they went through uh, is just, we would be, we'd be finished. We have it better than any generation in history. And Zelu Mazeh, equaling that out, I believe we have the equivalent amount of emotional and psychological suffering, the amount of unwholesomeness, the amount of psychological fragility, the amount of suffering that people have in their psyche, in their emotions, is unparalleled in the course of history. Why does there have to be a certain amount of suffering? I don't know exactly why, but Hashem feels there is a certain amount needed. And a lot of it, again, has to do with the fact that we're not tzaddikim gemurim, and it helps us, it keeps us on track, It maybe it's mechaper, and many reasons. But the suffering can come in different forms. Sometimes it could come as poverty. Sometimes it could come as embarrassment. Sometimes it could come in physical forms. Sometimes it can come in psychological forms. There are many people I know who suffer dramatically because of psychological issues, whether it be OCD, anxiety, or they didn't choose it. They don't wake up one day and say, Hashem, I would love to have social anxiety so I don't know where to put myself. I can't stand in public because I'm too close to this guy. I can't talk on a mini because maybe this guy's looking at me. No one asks for it. And whatever reason, Hashem feels that certain people need certain nishonos, certain life setting, and often that includes suffering. And again, our generation doesn't suffer much physically, but we sure do suffer emotionally, psychologically, etc. And that's the balance that Hashem uh, uses to run the world. Okay, okay, good Shabbos, thank you. Okay, okay, Avram, you got the floor. Shalom Aleichem, hi. Um, it's a quick question. The idea of the Rambam about the um, studying uh, the disease of Israel is that when you, once you've built up your moon in Betachet and you're ready, believing it is, is only the Abishter and, <coughs> and, and the Terrace Emmets, and, and now you're just building even stronger than that, or is it already when you're trying to build your foundation in the moon in Betachet? It's a mitzvah, certainly by the time you're bar mitzvah, you're obligated in it. And earlier we do it, meaning it's like everything in Amuna is constant building, and you're constantly strengthening. But at the age of 13, already you're obligated in all mitzvahs, including tefillin and mezuzah and everything else. So it's certainly, my, my answer to you would be that we work on all areas. We work on basic Amuna, we work on the advanced Amuna. You know, you advance a little bit here, a little bit here, but, but the point is that this understanding of studying Yitzhiya Mishraim, studying these parshios, is what it does is it lets us see Hashem as the creator, maintainer, orchestrator of everything, and allows us to see that there's no mikra, everything in our world. And again, that's the Lashon Ramban, that a person doesn't have a chalik in Torah's Moshe Reino. He has no part in Torah unless he believes that all of our actions and everything that happens to us are nisim, literally miracles. There's no mikra, there's no happenstance, there's no teva. And again, that's how the Ramban defines uh, the myth. That's why there's so many things Zechel Yitzhiya trying because it's so central to our Amunah system. 
Okay. I hope so that you're 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 focusing. It means you're focusing. Means you're focusing at the same time you're writing basics, but it's really part of the advanced. Yeah. Part of again, again, if you didn't know this at all, the fifth and sixth level, but you knew the first levels of Amuna, you could walk right into Ganadin. And now, don't get me wrong. The fifth and the sixth level are what I call theoretical. We don't live in that world. When I walk down the street, I don't see the sidewalk is kept in existence by Hashem every moment, and the tree is kept in existence by Hashem, and every and that ant. Halavai, we we get every once in a while we could sit back and think and contemplate. In the real world we live in, we just try to see Hashem is here. Hashem is involved, and even if I don't see Hashem here, I know that Hashem has my back. I know that Hashem is gonna. And by the way, even if I think that Hashem will somehow mysteriously appear on the scenes, that's fine. You'll go right to the front row again, Aiden, as long as I know Hashem somehow will be there, somehow will take care of me. <clears throat> Bad things don't happen to me. No one can harm me. No one can help me. If you know that fact, even if you don't know how Hashem got there and how Hashem knows these, whatever, you'll walk into the front row again, Aiden. <clears throat> these understandings, what I call the fifth and the sixth level of Amuna, are very eye-opening. It allows us to understand things on a deeper level. It allows us to have a deeper understanding. And it's helpful but we don't live in that world. That's more the world of the theory, but it helps us understand things so we can relate more to the fact that Hashem is here and Hashem bails me out, Hashem takes care of me, and I can learn to, to trust Hashem. Thank you. Okay. Good Shabbos. Good Shabbos. Okay, good. Okay, Edward, we haven't heard from you in a long time. The Grace of Tzaddik. How are we doing? Oh, hello, Rabbi. How are you? Shalom Aleichem. How are we doing? How are you feeling? Huh? Feeling young and healthy? I'm sorry? Again? You're feeling young and healthy? Yes, yes, yes. Everything fine. Thank God. Thank I'm God. Separate question about your book. My book? The 10 really dumb mistakes that very small couples make? Uh, you know, 10 really dumb mistakes. Uh, that very smart couples make. Now, you have to be a very smart couple to read this book. If you're not very smart... Then there's a sequel book coming out later. The Ten Really Dumb Mistakes for Really Dumb Couples. But this book is only for the really smart couples. So let's make sure we buy the right book, okay? I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. Uh, your book inspired me. Uh, you know, I recall the story of wedding Jacob with Rachel, and instead of Rachel, he got Leah, right? Right. So your book with this Bible story inspired me to open new business. It calls agency Laban Bridal Services. Okay. If you have a daughter which you cannot get married, my experienced crew will go to the kosher wedding, Bora Park, Williamsburg, even Monsi. And the crucial moment at the wedding night, they will substitute. <laughs> so. I hear you. It's a Jewish business. You'll make a fortune. You'll make a fortune. I hear you. I know. What All right. <clears throat> Edward, did you read the book, though? Did you read it? Yeah, I read it. Yeah, I read like half of the book. Half of the book. But I'm not what do you think? Question. Besides business advice, what do you think of the book? Well, I made it for 30 years. You're not going to tell something I don't know. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. I'm going to ask your wife if that's true. I'm going to have to ask I'm going to have to ask your wife if that's true. But okay, fine. We'll let you slide on this one. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Your question is... <clears throat> yeah, so my 
And by the way, I think I'm offering 10% commission for referrals. Oh. <laughs> but in this course, how is possible that you go to bed at your wedding night with not your bride, with, but with somebody else? That's the first question. Uh, Second question. <laughs> does Jacob commit adultery? Because he was married to, Le to Rachel, but he was sleeping with Leah. So he committed adultery, in my opinion. What about you? No, 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 he wasn't married. When he met, with, was with Leah, married Leah, and he didn't want to make a chetot, didn't want to be a, a bad, make uh, um, a wedding mistake, because it would have been a BS, it would have been a, uh, um, it would have been living out of wedlock. So therefore he had a mind to marry her no matter what. So he was married to Leah. Then, a week later, he married Rachel. So in other words, it was, it was living with his wife, because he married Leah, he didn't. He wouldn't want it to be a an act of intimacy outside of wedlock. Therefore, the kedushin was it wasn't a kedushin tos. It wasn't a kedushin in error. It was a proper wedding, and therefore he was legitimately married to Leah. Otherwise, it would have been a kedushin tos. Why? Why didn't he say, "I didn't want this one. I wanted the other one." So to be shown and explained, because the only way that would come about would be if he had a if he had intimacy outside of wedlock. And that it was something he wouldn't want. Therefore, the wedding, it was considered a Kedushim proper. He was married to Leah, and good. Anyway, listen, Edward, we're going to ask questions after because I think we're running out of time. But thank you for visiting, and i got to make a plug for the book. If you've not had a chance to... Thank you. you've not had a chance to, to look at the ten really dumb mistakes that very small couples make, I highly recommend the book. It deals with the basics of marriage, the basics of gender differences, relationship differences... The Art of the Apology, Communication. I've received rave, rave reviews. Chassan teachers, Kala teachers, marriage therapists have told me it sold, Baruch Hashem, it sold 5,000 copies so far. <clears throat> we got a lot more to go, but uh, but in Mitzvah Hashem, it'll, it'll get there. If you'd like a copy, please go to the theshmooz.com. You can go to your Swarm store or to uh, Amazon. But if you go to the theshmooz.com to get your copy, you'll also get the audio book, the e-book, as well as the Marriage Transformation Bootcamp. So if you go to theshmuz.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com, you'll see the 10 Really Dumb Mistakes. You click on it, it'll take you to the page, and if you order it from there, you'll get the free audio book, the e-book, as well as the Marriage Transformation Bootcamp. I thank you for joining. I hope you have a good Shabbos. I hope to see you next week. Thank you.